0: Ladies and gentlemen, the spectacular Spider-Man! Face it, Tiger, we just hit the jackpot.
1: Otto Octavius was weak.
0: Call me Dr. Octopus. From From now on, we're poison poison to Peter Peter Parker Parker Parker. and Spider-Man. We're Venom! Green Goblin doesn't take green goblin swaps them into oblivion oh you better not get your goop in my hair spider-man threat or menace someone is so getting the look
2: tell me there's something better go ahead try
3: <laughs> welcome back to spectacular radio i'm your host greg bashansky and joining us again are, our, are my co-hosts zach joiner and Gerard Tour, the host of Clone Saga Chronicles and Mayday Mondays, respectively.
2: Woo-hoo.
3: And before we dive into hello. our episode, go on. He said hello. i say hello. hello. <laughs> before we dive into our episode, we have fan mail. And if you want to send us even more fan mail, you can reach us at
2: Zack. Spectacular radio at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 818 925 6631 or to easily remember that it's 9 clone one. But before we or scene, if, you know it ha- if you want
1: to send us a you want to send us a handwritten letter, you can send one to twenty two zero five. Jack, <laughs> you're supposed God. to stop me, and I'm giving out God your whole address. <laughs>
3: <Now it's over! laughs> also, <doing> the bit. <laughs> also before we get started, I, as your host, need to say something. In the last episode, I may have said something that may have. Been taken the wrong way, and you know what? I don't care.
2: <laughs>
3: Excellent.
2: You know what's great about this? Uh, those that don't know, um, Brashansky has the King of Hell as the as his little gravitar on on Skype. So I'm imagining him saying that to me. I don't care. Well, Guaranty. I mean, he, he constantly is the King of Hell. That's, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've seen it in real life. I've just only seen photos.
3: The ironic thing about that is that I didn't even need to put that cosplay together. I had already had those clothes in my closet since before I even knew who that character
2: was.
3: (laughs) Yeah,
1: that was also probably the only time I've ever wanted to slap the case right out of your mouth when I'm talking to you is when you stupidly just said out loud in public how much that coat was worth. I remember that. Remember the look I I gave you? I'm just like, what are you doing?
3: (laughs) Yes, I do remember that. (laughs)
2: Are you you trying to get mugged? But anyway, on to our email.
3: Right. Yes.
2: All right. So, Big Al once again sends us an email, our favorite contributor on SpiderDude.com and our favorite letter writer here on all of our respective podcasts. He says, Dear Spec Radio, had to write in after the latest episode featuring Spider Man himself, Josh Keaton. Great feat bringing him on the pre-ultimate episode of the season where he not only dominates the screen time, but we literally go inside Spidey's head. I essentially feel everyone nailed it in their assessments of the episode overall, from its psychological approach to its clever use of color. Or color, as the British like to spell it. (laughs) Minimum (laughs) scenery, etc. The one thing I wish had been discussed, however, and maybe it will be in the future episodes, is Brock's transformation into Venom. Moving on. I know the episode gets a fair amount of flack for various reasons chiefly how it adopts elements from the 2002 movie, which, by the way, if you would like to feel old, people graduating this year were born in 2002.
3: Psst, Gerard, I think he's talking about you. You mother
1: <laughs>
2: <budget>. <laughs> Those that are starting high school this year were born in 2002. <clears throat> anyway.
1: Oh, man. That does make me feel old. No
2: kidding, <laughs> right? I saw that on Facebook, and I'm like, oh, my God. Anyway, however.
1: I was in high school when the, when the movie came out. And true. now the people that are
2: oh, I guess. Yeah, and you, you are now officially an old man.
3: I was out of high school already when the movie came out.
2: Want to make you, want to make <laughs> So, by by the way, this also, this, this class is now the first class to have never lived through 9-11 and only know it as an historical event. Oh, good lord.
3: Oh, my
1: God. Yeah. Hey, hey don't feel so bad. I I, uh, I was playing uh, Transformers Devastation the other day. I was going through the arc. You know, one of the. I don't remember which Transformers but the one that turns into a tape deck? Soundwave. And I, I just thought to go, oh, no. How many people don't know what that is? <laughs> How many kids are playing this game right now have no idea what that, that object is?
2: How many people use Microsoft Word and hit the save little button and don't know what a floppy disk
1: is? (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. Oh, my
2: goodness. Back to the email. However, I feel the episode is honestly one of the best of the whole season. To address the elements kept in from the film, maybe more could have been done to differentiate it from the film, but honestly, when looking at the episode as a whole, the elements lifted from the film don't make up the majority of the running time and usually did serve the plot overall as an updating of the origin. Mister Wiseman addressed the element of Ben being outside the wrestling arena, as in the movie, and I agree with the decision to retain that change from the comics origin. Wilt's I will say, uh, Uncle
1: Ben wasn't out. hold on a second. Uncle Ben wasn't outside of the wrestling arena in the movie, though.
2: He was outside. He, was
1: of he, was out- he was outside of the New York Public Library, which is where Peter told him he was going, and exactly. Ben went to the wrestling arena.
2: And I think it was the same way in the uh, in the in the. Waltz, well. I will say, I will always prefer the comics version for various reasons. When trying to streamline and make the origin more realistic, this is, was a change which did honestly work. To be honest, the one and only thing I'm e- even remotely iffy on in regards to elements retained from the movie is Peter letting the burglar go out of a kind of revenge on the wrestler, as kind of a revenge on the wrestling manager. Waltz, I see the appeal. Of this take on the origin, I do feel it somewhat undermines Amazing Fantasy 15 was going was going for. As Peter saw the ramification of his ego, lack of caring, and all overall selfishness. I suppose to give m- me the idea this take on the burglar scene evokes is what Peter would have is that Peter would have stopped the guy had he not been screwed over, which for me doesn't sit comfortably with the original intentions of the origin. Well how but, but how does that work though?
1: Because the whole point is that he's supposed to be doing it as some sort of callous, selfish kind of act. It's the same kind of thing; it's just the mechanics are different. Yeah, I
0: agree with
1: that. I, 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 I guess the point is it's, some, little Gerard, more, it's a little yeah. more it's malicious when he does it out of revenge. But I think that actually helps because it establishes that he's soulful of himself at this point. That I he have can yeah. doing something like this.
3: Gerard, I have watched you and Bertoni have this argument so many times. <laughs>
1: I don't even remember what side he's on at this point.
3: He's on the opposite side of you. Yeah.
1: Well, that would go show he's wrong, so...
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: we need to have him back on this Tony. podcast we sometime. You, we know you're listening, for Tony.
3: <laughs> Josh, come back on sometime. We really want to have you.
2: Exactly. All <laughs> uh, right. The most ingenious aspect of this episode to me personally is, however however, is it that it finds an organic way to ingrain the symbiote and Venom into Spider-Man's life and rogues gallery in a way that even the comics have yet to achieve. By having Peter re- Peter's rejection of the symbiote stem from his origin and Uncle Ben's memory, it creates more of a personal link between Peter and Venom. All of which climaxes in what, to me, was the br- a brilliant ap- adaptation of the cover of Amazing Spider-Man number 258 and the dream sequence contained within where the red costume fights the black costume. Well, that's all for now. Keep up the good work. As always, regards,
3: Alex. Thank you for that letter, Alex. Gerard, do you want to tear into him yet? Oh, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Well, I'm kidding. Uh,
1: first of all, this guy is a Venom apologist. You should probably mention that. <laughs> because he goes to some real arm twisting length there to try to. Look, Venom doesn't have to be personally connected to Spider Man. That's the whole point saying that something actually strengthens their personal connection doesn't actually make the character any better. Because I don't think it was something that was all that necessary to begin with. And in fact, that's the weakest part of his origin. He have to go into some serious mental gymnastics, like retconning him into Spider-Man's backstory, just to try to establish that. Well, it wasn't even necessary at all.
2: Well, and we've already established that this is our favorite version of that character, too. Yeah. I mean, pretty, pretty yeah. well, concretely. But, again... Venom had
3: a long way to go. Yeah, he did. Still, let's see. And um, is there any other material we want to discuss before we dive into the episode?
1: Yeah, I think you the, of the
3: Yeah, me too. Me too. We've got a summary right here. Over. On the African savanna, Sergei Kravinoff confronts a rhinoceros mad with fever and subdues it with his bare hands. He is attacked by a lion, revealed to be his pet Kulyadkin, and meets with his lover Calypso, who reveals that th- these newspaper clippings from America in Spider-Man. Sergei, delighted at the thought of a worthy challenge, accepts the, uh, the prospect of hunting them. In Manhattan, Peter turns in his biology exam and attempts to talk to Gwen, but Liz interrupts and Gwen leaves without him. At the lab, Peter thanks Dr. Connors for the second chance and is introduced to Miles Warren's lab assistant, Deborah Whitman. Martha inquires if they know where Eddie Brock disappeared to, and Gwen worries that he may have been attacked by venom. Miles Warren enters, gushing over Dr. Connors' research on lizards and how it overlaps with his own research on mammals, and Kurt immediately declares that line of research to have been a dead end and an embarrassment that evening spider-man swings through the skyline mulling over whether to date liz or gwen unaware that Sergei is watching him Sergei ambushes him and almost brings him down but spider-man ultimately trams him stating that while Sergei may be the ultimate hunter in new york city he's out of his league leaving him hanging by his ankles from a street lamp for the people to laugh at Sergei frees himself and reunites with Calypso and Glyadkin, leaving a sample of Spider-Man's costume torn off by one of his spears to track him across New York City, ultimately leading him to ESU Science Lab, where he confronts Miles Warren, who is clandestinely continuing his research on Doc Connor's lizard formula. Warren, wanting to test the results of his research, claims to have been the one to have given Spider-Man his powers, prompting Sergei to demand that he do the same for him. Warren requests a significant sum for the procedure, and when Sergei threatens him, he simply states it would be in Sergei's best interest to pay him before hand, and I love this part, I'm going to talk about this more in a bit. At Midtown High's football game, Peter tests out this new camera, and Liz flirts to them. The Mustangs win the game, but Flash breaks his knee, throwing the winning pass. At ESU's lab, Sergei pays Warren's half-up front, threatening the sickle-yodkin on him if he is dissatisfied with the results. Warren infuses Sergei with a mixture of lion, leopard, and sheeta DNA, transforming him to transforming him into a werewolf-like feline beast calling himself Craven the Hunter he attacks Spider-Man and proves to be his match their fight trashing the Museum of Natural History in the middle of their brawl Peter receives a phone call from Liz asking him to come to the hospital but his fight with Craven spills out into Central Park Spider-Man slows Craven down with webbing enough to deal with what he thinks is a knockout blow but is distracted by drums and when he turns back Craven has disappeared Peter arrives at the hospital and, and attempts to c- the comfort Liz. When Flash is wheeled out on a gurney, she she rushes over to see how he is doing. Craven awakens, being tended to by Calypso in their limousine, and their benefactor introduces himself as a master planner and asks Craven how he feels about hunting in packs. Dun, dun, dun. But I'm okay. The, the, before we start. The, Probably the most controversial thing in the series up until this uh, to this point has been either sh- has been Shocker be Montana, but I think Craven. I know Craven's mutation here is even more controversial than that. Whenever it comes up, although I don't hear about it too often, and I'm going to be honest, Craven the Hunter is a character that I never gave a crap about, so I don't care that they did this to him.
2: Craven the Hunter's best story is the one where he
3: dies. Yes. He, it is. No, that's true of, of Gwen
1: Stacy too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: um What does that say about those two characters? Um, it says that there wasn't enough done with those two characters prior to their deaths to make a true impact.
3: Stanley. No, no.
1: Yeah, Stanley and John. <laughs> that's the Hold on, hold on, Greg. Shut up! I'm to of argument here. <laughs> You see, Zach, you're saying that that means that all their other stories are crap and, or that they weren't anything metal to them? No. What that really means is that the stories where they die are so great and iconic that it overshadows the other ones and sometimes makes people convinced that that's the case. That isn't necessarily true.
2: I concede your point.
3: Now I was about to say, Stan Lee and John Romita Sr. must have loved Craven because they used him more often than almost any other villain in this in the Lee Romita run, except for maybe the Kingpin.
2: Yeah, I think I think it was I think he was Ramita, one of Romita's favorites. So
3: well, obviously, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they just kept using him. He was like every he appeared. I think once at, at least once every ten issues.
1: Is there are multiple reasons for this. For one thing, as an artist. He's so visually different from all the other characters that he just immediately becomes a nice, fun change of face Like you're constantly drawing, like you know, guys in green jumpsuits and stuff. It's a nice thing to break up with. But also, you don't have you don't have to be like a deep, psychologically complex character. Sometimes you just need a goofy goon. in a a lion coat or vest or whatever he wears to show up every once in a while, hunt Spider-Man down, get humbled, and then go off to lick his wounds in some cave somewhere, and he plop his his neck and
3: stuff. And maybe even even shoot lasers out of his nipples in the process.
1: (laughs) Well, to be fair, he was shooting them out of the lion's eyes on his vest. But yeah, that was kind of
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Actually, he only did that once.
2: Speaking of Gwen Stacy and Craven, remember that time when he tried to, to make her, uh, Gwen Stacy his wife during the <laughs> Was like,
3: that that story? Was that that story in the Savage Land, which I think was done only to have an excuse to drug Gwen in a bikini for two issues?
2: Yes.
1: That was actually uh, that was actually Roy Thomas and Bill Kane. Right, right.
2: Oh, was it? I, I thought it was. I thought it was. Libra meet,
3: well, that sounds like something Roy Thomas would come up with. He loved Savage Land. If I remember correctly,
1: I think that's the first folio that Roy Thomas did when he took over for Stan Lee, right?
3: I think so. May have been.
2: Well, he did. You know, he did that one-off issue that that.
1: Uh, he, he he did the Six Arms Saga. Thanks, Stan. <laughs> yeah, the, the the issue with Morbius was definitely his first issue, What I don't remember is if they had, they had stuck the interim tag on him or if he was officially the new writer by right that point. Yeah either way it's just semantics it was one of the first issues you did which is also notable because that was when they increased the price of the comic and at that point they tried to do it so it was extra size so that issue was like 30 something pages and then I think later they found out okay that's this crazy talk let's just bring it back down this one year or <laughs> whatever yeah so they did this weird experiment where for a couple of issues it was all Marvel's Issues that were at that certain price point for over thirty pages, and they realized it wasn't sustainable, so they backed it back down again.
3: Yeah. All right. So, um, Gerard, you were you you implied that you were going to have a very different about Craven last time we all spoke.
1: I love Craven. Okay. Really? <laughs> and I hate when it, I hate when people go like, ah, oh, his, his best stories one where he dies. Yeah, that's true, but that's just because that story is great. It doesn't mean all his other appearances are bad.
2: No, I, I, I remember this when Gerard and I did the, um, the Craven story of the Scarlet Spider, and, uh, and and Gerard's unironic love for strange characters such as Delilah, and, and Craven the Hunter, um, which makes Gerard a little strange. But we already knew that. Um,
1: it, it, it's, a, it's a perpetual need for every character to be some kind of a list severe threat that bothers me oh because I agree I agree, I agree. Come and see it, like, that's why characters like the spot or like the hypno hustler Like that's why people end up loving because you. you need a character to show up every once in a while and just get beat up <laughs> you
2: hey. I mean? you need jo- to use a wrestling term you need jobbers hey, one of my I-, I was fa-
1: actually about to say that and I hesitated <laughs> hey one of my <laughs> favorite-
3: hey one of my favorite stories from the 90s was the Legion of Losers oh my god
1: exactly Yes. You need Jabba to show up every once in a while so that Spider-Man can beat him up and, and remind you that he's a, a really severe threat as a strong, competent hero. Yes. That's yes. one of the things that drives me nuts about JMS's run, for example, is that every time a villain shows up, Spider-Man gets his kicked, and after a while he just starts looking like a chump. If you mix in a couple of Cravens and, you know, Hypno-Hustlers and Spots every, every once in a while for him to smack around, that that perception doesn't happen.
2: Well, I mean, when you read the JMS run, how many classic villains do he use?
3: Doc Ock. Once. Doc Ock, just only once. On. Yeah. Uh,
2: Doc Ock but he
1: also, free... felt, but but JMS also had this problem where every character that showed up had to be some kind of world-cracking threat, which is exactly what I'm talking about here. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. I mean, every everything was, and and spiritually, I, I hate to bring up his name, he who shall not be named. Tries to do the same thing to much less effect, to where it's like groan inducing. <sighs> Everything has to be ultimate game changing now! It's no, like exactly. I'm ultimate... He's like... That Hugh who shall not be named is like the ultimate warrior of, of Spider-Man. <laughs> I, I, and,
3: and, and, and you know what? I agree with you. I definitely see where you're coming from. For some reason, the character of Craven in the comics, he's at the bottom of my list of Lee Ditko villains. Okay, okay, the living brain is probably even below that. But um, I mean, I like the Vulture more than I like Kraven.
1: Hey, but here, but, okay, but that's why I like Craven functional. Here's why I like Craven as a character. He's always had just the most consistent characterization you can think of. He's a guy who is like, he's the king of the jungle. He, he can strangle it out, and he can choke out any lion. He's faster than a cheetah. He's stronger than a rhinoceros. That are seen the, the, his bragging. So he shows that he's like, okay, I need a challenge. I need something that I can sink my teeth into. So he comes to New York. He faces Spider Man, and Spider Man smacks him back so hard that he, he's just like, what? because he's never been beaten like that before. Yeah. And when that happens to you, you want to, the rest of his life, basically, is his driving force. I have to be better than Spider-Man, I have to beat him, I have to beat him. You, you know, do- he might, he might align with the, the uh, he's another supervillain here, he might do this, do that. You have to beat him. And ultimately, that leads right into his, his death story, because you get to the point where when you finally do beat him, what's left? Answer of course nothing. That, mind, is nothing. That, that is a very Russian mentality.
3: That is a very Russian mentality. Yes.
1: That's what I'm saying. It, all, it might not matter that much now with people in, in an era where the Soviet. Period is, is so far in the past. Well, oh, Vladimir
2: Putin. <laughs> Vladimir Putin is doing his best Soviet impression
1: these days, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A the fact is kind of coming back now. The Yeah, this indomitable drive to the number one. But the, the wrinkle here is Craven isn't anywhere near good enough for that to actually work. At least This is my interpretation. I mean, he's always been like... It's sort of like that kid who thinks he can be the quarterback of the football team, but he actually really sucks and doesn't realize it. Like, Craven is not to that level, but Craven is hes not good enough to beat Spider-Man. But that's not going to stop him from continuously trying. So whenever he shows up, he's almost like a pet. He shows up, he fights Spider-Man a little bit. He might get close once in a while, he might get to jump on him, but ultimately he's going to lose. And that's his function in the story. And it's a necessary good function, and and you add wrinkles to him that that support that. Having him live in a mansion and be surrounded by stuff, you know, animals that he's killed, sitting around drinking wine, looking at them, thinking of glory days that are past, that's the character that he is. Which is why, in this episode, when when he goes to Warren... To get all juiced up with like technology, that doesn't work at all. <laughs> that's not that's not very I'm sorry, Greg. This is a swing and a miss
3: for this series. Hey, you know what? I agree. Like I said, like I said, it's something that I just like, it's not something I'm going to defend ultimately because I don't give a crap about it. Oh, I know.
1: Uh, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that judging from my passionate soliloquy, I just went on there, which is more of a rant, really. That there are people that do care about this guy, because, yeah, it, no, no. the lovable loser yeah, no. is, is a thing. You go not have to this guy get smacked around enough, and then finally, he kind of grows on you to the point where you like to get him around
3: sometimes. I thought his first fight scene with Spidey in this sums up exactly what you said. He just shows up and uh, he tries to take him down. Ultimately, he ends up getting humiliated.
1: Yeah, that's why I love the first half of this episode. Because that's, that's crazy. That is crazy. The guy who shows up, he, he, he walks into something he doesn't know what he's walking into. He's like, I'm a king of the jungle. What's the problem? And then he walks in there to the sack, sack, relatively easy fight. You show him to be threatening if he gets to jump on Spider-Man. If he does, he almost gets Spider-Man on Arrow. He almost manages to get Spider-Man a couple of times during the fight, but ultimately it was Spider-Man's fight to lose. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the aftermath of that that I have a problem with. Where he, where he, if Craven had been written correctly, and I know that's a harsh thing to say, considering that we have a relationship with Greg wise on this show, I don't mean to attack the writing staff of this series. Apologies, that's not if Craven had been written in character, his response should have been he goes back to the jungle a little bit, he starts seeking out some uh, some herbs and some potions and some animal blood here this, there, he starts mixing together some concoctions to try to, okay, I need to figure out some way from my habitat, this jungle here, to, to make my... And he'll go back and he'll constantly keep wrestling a few lions here and there, building himself up. I need to beat Spider-Man. I need to how can I go about training to fight Spider-Man? So he'll fight his animals. So he'll make his potions. He'll come up with a couple of weapons that he can use. And then he'll come back a few months later and fight him again.
3: Didn't he mutate like this in Ultimate Spider-Man, the comic book?
1: I don't know. I, I, I quit that book long before that happened. <laughs> I
3: know.
1: I, I think, I think um, it was an Ultimate thinking. 6.
2: I may
1: have been an Ultimate 6, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. I forgot all about that. You're right. That was a, I missed that thing completely. That oh, was,
3: was early in the run, wasn't the first
2: couple of years? That was, uh... Well, he made the appearance, like, in the very, like, first 18 months.
3: Where he was Steve Irwin.
2: Well, yeah, basically, yeah. it was... I and just, it, this large, poisonous snake is injecting its venom into my arm. For yeah, some he reason,
3: was in that Yeah. It, then they made him Russian later.
2: Yeah, then for some reason, he's like, goes from having the poison injected into my arm, to... I am a Russian. I'm going to crush you. I must break you.
1: What? what helping An ultimate Spider-Man not being consistent? What?
2: Oh, what? What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> um. So, I guess it's time for my thoughts. Or Unless you're, unless you're done. I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: I'm sorry. Uh, that's all I have to say about Craven. I've talked enough. I'll, I'll get back to other points later.
2: Um, Craven the Hunters are total badass. At the beginning of this, this episode. Yeah. Like, like, when he, when he shows up and he's like, Look, no, the, the tranquilizer doors, they cannot work. I'd be like, I crave a grave in the I take care of these, you know, uh, these rhinoceros. Let me say that again. He takes care of a rhinoceros. <laughs> Not like a cat or, a, you know, like a cheetah. No, it's a effing rhinoceros. That's and, then li-
1: and then he has a lion jump in, sort of like uh, Cato in those uh, Kuzo movies. <laughs> yes! <laughs>
2: yeah, the only thing that I... Uh, the only, And then, like, he's such a boss that he's domesticated a lion. Let me say that again, for emphasis. Domesticated a lion.
0: Gulyadkin.
2: Gudiatkin, yeah. Good-yarkin.
3: Well, I believe it's from the 90s comics also, except he was a uh, Kraven's son's pet. Yeah. I don't mind using him here like this. I kind of like Kraven having a pet lion. <laughs> yes.
1: Well, well, as he establishes, though, that lion is owned by no man. That's
3: true. He's more like his best friend or something. And Glyadkin rides around in his limo with him. And
2: if you remember Dela the 90s comics, I believe he referred to that lion as his brother.
3: That's right! Yeah! Yes. Yes. <laughs>
2: And, and remember, I'm also, remember, I'm
1: trying to remember. Was this was this uh, this is Alyosha we're talking about, or we're talking yes. about Vladimir?
2: Yeah, yeah. No, it was Aliyasha.
1: and yeah, Vladimir just sucks. We left that about him the uh,
2: Vladimir was used as cut in the fodder for Kane. <laughs> I don't know why I went Vince McMahon there, um, but, <laughs> but uh, I. Greg is like not understanding any of these wrestling references, and Gerard and I. That's okay.
1: Understand. That's okay. It's just in jokes between you and me. It makes it fun.
2: Yes. So, um, I, I, but also remember Ayasha in the Grim Hunt was mutated into a lion man.
1: Oh God, we have to bring that up again.
2: Uh huh. So there is some precedence in the comics, and I. But this was that was after.
3: Y- yeah, this was definitely. A- I guess was mutated after this air, definitely.
2: Yeah. So, um, in terms of Miles Ward... One...
3: It's a mile's more, and I haven't really talked about Craven yet myself. I mean, except oh. to say that I don't really give a crap about the character, but I do like I, I like Eric Vesbitt's voice for the character. Eric Vesbitt was an associate producer on this show. Show I don't know if he was also a professional actor, but he did Craven really well, and I heard him do Craven in person in that radio play that we did. I mean, he really has a lot of presence when he does that voice, and he's like a six foot five guy who must weigh ninety pounds. He's really skinny and really tall. <laughs> <laughs> But um and and to hear that voice come out of him, it's kind of jarring, but in a cool way. And I really did like that first fight scene. Also, there's a there, there's a lot of great dialogue in it. I mean, Sergei there is just narrating everything he does, like Darkwing Duck. <laughs> I knew you would you would appreciate that reference, Gerard. And uh, there's also that lot, that exchange from Mother Russia by way of Mother Africa. Oh, two moms and so so ill behaved. <laughs> I also, really like, uh, kind of get,
1: it kind of got lost in this episode because she's a minor
3: character. But I really love Calypso. Uh, oh, Calyp- of this. Oh, me too. I thought Calypso was actually great in this. Unfortunately, this is her only appearance in the entire series. Yeah, we, we get more Craven next time, but we've, uh, but Calypso doesn't appear again after this. And I, and I thought she was, she was great. There was a very creepy vibe to her. I mean, should we talk about Calypso now too?
1: Yeah, um, both she and Craven kind of have this, especially Craven with his voice, but Calista, Cal- I keep calling it Calypso, which is not her name. Calypso carries herself this way, too. There's an air of, like, royalty about them, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: Mariah! Uh, I, don't, I don't know how to describe it, but you get the sense that they only just sort of glance at their shared backstory, and I wish we had gotten some more of that in this episode.
3: Yeah, me too. I'm sure we would have gotten more, again, obviously we didn't get more show, but we, there's a lot... The, the, the entire thing of this podcast is, I wish we'd gotten more. <laughs> yeah.
2: There was so much well done in terms of being set up on the series that it's just a damn shame it didn't go
3: further. Yeah, but even then, like I said, the way they write the characters, the way the actors perform it, perform it, it tells you a lot about them, that these two have known each other for a long time, have been together for a while, and... and I mean, they don't have the right to say it, but they imply that she does have powers of some kind. Oh yeah. Well, I mean,
1: well, I mean I it, 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 most notably when Craven just sort of disappears at the end of the fight,
3: and those drums that appear whenever she that sound whenever she shows up. I mean, there's just Doom, a shot. Doom, My favorite, Doom, yeah, Doom, Doom. There you go. There's a shot of her when she we first see her after Craven, Sergey being humiliated, where she just has this hood up over her fur coat and. Uh, there's an air about that character, that, and I didn't care much about Calypso on the comics, but this Calypso I wanted to see more of.
2: Well, it didn't help that the Calypso on the comics was defined by doom, 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 doom.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, letting McFarlane get his hands on any character is a good way to ruin that character.
3: That is also very true.
1: Calypso was pretty cool in the uh, in the D. Ross spectacular. Run. Yes, yeah. I
2: do like I do like how she completely just mind f's. Ayasha, who legitimately wants to be good in his core, but like she just completely manipulates him, to where he just straight up um, fornicates and kills um, her. <laughs> <laughs> right
1: well, that was a nice way to try to make that sound classy. <laughs>
3: um, violence for. against women is wrong, everybody.
1: Like, yeah, what the fuck?
3: Ha, ha,
2: ha. Yeah, that was bad.
1: Why are you talking about Greg? You just grab him right by the— no, no. <laughs> Oh God, no!
3: <laughs> oh my God,
1: no no no. No no,
2: no, no! no, 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 That is editing me. You edit that out, Bajanski. <laughs> but by,
3: well, by the time this is posted, the election will be over. Uh... Annual- <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah. <clears throat> okay, um, but, so we're talking about Calypso. Oh, yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I guess it ties into a note that I have here, so I'll jump in. Um, you get Calypso, you get Craven. I, I'm getting the sense from this episode and the previous one together, and maybe I'm alone in this, but I think they're throwing a few too many characters at you at once.
3: Well, you know, we don't
1: I get, one that got that sense?
3: Well, I get what you're saying. I guess new season, they want to introduce some new faces. Thankfully, we don't have that in the next two episodes. I don't think any new characters get introduced over the, in the next two episodes. Ah, good.
2: Uh, you know, we are in kind of the phase where it's season two-itis, so they're trying to introduce a bunch of new characters. So I... That's,
1: okay that's literally them. word for Warren or Greg just said. <laughs> You're not paying attention, Jack. Sorry,
2: I'm going off my notes, jerk face. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, can we talk about Miles Warren?
3: yes let's For,
2: uh,
3: I, I just want to say one thing I just love the way he plays Sergei I love it Just the, Sergei threatens him with bodily harm if he don't do this and Miles talks his way into getting a hefty sum of money very convincingly very well done too just the way he does it
2: um, again I, I mentioned this last episode but uh, Miles is a magnificent bastard and I like when Miles is a magnificent bastard I also like the fact that we're getting the, uh, 60s design on, uh, on Miles and not, you know, middle-aged version of Miles, where he's got the gray hair and the unnecessarily shaggy hair for some reason, because, reason well, because 70s. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: what okay, I'm saying, because it was the 70s, it's why like he had that, uh, that John Holmes mustache.
2: Ugh.
3: <laughs> like... Uh... Okay, that would be 80s. But- I love the I love the way Brian George voices him. He just sounds so slimy and Brian George, some of you who, live, who watch Seinfeld might know him as you might know him better as Babu Bhatt, the Pakistani who tried who who opened a Pakistani restaurant across the street from Jerry Seinfeld's apartment.
1: <laughs>
3: That's him. And um uh, and I think I, I, I get the feeling that um and maybe this is me, but Miles and his brother, I think they're kind of being played as uh, Indian Americans, you know. Th- they're definitely not Caucasian.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with that. Uh,
2: just uh, beca- just because, for... because of some race changes you know, in the other, other part, other, for other characters on the show. Uh... Well, well,
1: yeah, yeah. Back, 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 back. You see? Changing <laughs> the race of the character—it's never going to change, them. Right? You can't do that. Not now, Horry. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Deb Whitman shows up, and sees some kind of some kind of black. What is going on here? Right, right, right.
2: You know oh my I God! It. I don't
1: know how Horry got into my house right here. Give back my phone, man. Geez, uh, so okay. isn't
2: that somebody's alias? I think it's somebody's Jorge, name. No, I,
1: I, don't, I, never met, I don't know anybody. What, what would Jorge be an alias for? Like, George? <laughs> that would be the laziest alias you can come up with. Is this the same name in Spanish?
0: <laughs>
2: okay.
1: Geez, <laughs> what kind of incompetent fool would try to convince me to come up with
2: It's spelled with a G instead of a J. It's a completely different character.
3: I <laughs> no, man. Okay, okay, so, Zach, you're the mic go on miles
2: uh miles i'm um, using instantly you know he loves to he loves to um f with genetics just based off of his research on the lizard stuff like and then trying to recreate the spider-man stuff you know what this is setting up and it doesn't even happen
1: all right Zach. that's all right We so can talk about other things that won't make Zach cry. Like the quarterback of a football team getting a significant injury. Oh! <laughs> nice. We will get there.
3: We will get Is there. Is
2: there a replacement quarterback that's equally as good except on the vertical passing
1: game? <laughs> anyway, uh, sorry, sorry. Not to
3: derail it. That's to Warren. This is an observation I've had, and this is something I've been thinking of when I watched this. I mean, we see that he's doing research on mammalian mutation, and we saw what he did to Craven. I actually wonder if the jackal we would have gotten would have been the genetically altered jackal instead of the costume jackal. This makes me wonder.
2: Uh, you'd
1: almost certainly have to if you're going that direction.
2: Yeah, I, I think so.
1: Yeah.
2: And I think, I think making establishing a reason beyond reasons works. Having him muck with um, animal and, and human DNA in this sense works. Getting ant- Making Animen and having a Bronze Age version of the Jackal being worshipped by a bunch of Animen and the High Evolutionary showing up for reasons doesn't work. <laughs> so, in this regard I absolutely like where they were going with this They took the overall concept that was uh, we've established Episode 31, Donovan's Rage uh, Of CSC We hated that issue Absolutely hated that issue Trashed it Took that overall concept of Warren not only likes to clone people; he likes to mess with animal DNA too. Hence, why he is more of a jackal man than just you know a guy a for a guy running in a furry convention. So, <laughs> I like where they were going. They're building. This was the great thing about Wiseman; he was establishing the seeds to build for season three
1: that we never got. <laughs> I agree with you, except for the get pie and craving into that. I don't think that was necessary.
2: I agree with that. Um, but who else were you going to do it to? Uh,
1: you know how many animal-themed characters on Spider-Man's <laughs> back You could no, 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 have no, 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 any but, one of them.
2: Well, I agree with that. But of the ones that we've established, are you going to turn the vulture into more of a vulture man? I
1: was going to say, why don't you do it with the Vulture? There's actually I, a built-in reason why he'd want to, because he's old and frail. You have the Vulture turn to him and want to be hand. I do physically. suspect Miles yeah.
3: Warren would have been the scientist who turned Mac Argan into Scorpion had we go, had we gotten that far. That's another good example. Agree with that. Agree with that. Is
2: the Scorpion and Sandman
3: the only ones that weren't used to Sandman, Sandman was in the
2: Oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. Mm. Sandman was not used in the 90s show. Crossing of the Streets.
1: Yeah. Hydro Man was, was the Sandman standard. Yeah. I. Yeah, Hydro Man is the Sandman standard,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. Mori uh, Bench. Well that's how they used together in the comics and became the Mudman. Oh, good lord.
2: Thank, thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks, Denny O'Neil. For not
3: Creator... That... Creator of Ray ghoul <laughs>
2: yeah, brought us, brought us <laughs> broken, uh,
3: broken clocks,
2: <laughs> broken clocks twice. Uh, anyway, the uh, I, so I like Warren, I like I like them trying to establish that this guy is one highly ambitious and almost to a fault, and they're developing him very nicely in the show, just in these two episodes. He comes in, and Gerard talked about this last episode. You don't just have somebody come in and worm their way into the position that, that uh, basically, becoming your boss. Especially if it's a colleague. Without some friendly competition. Freaking Kurt just says, here you go, Miles. Have free reign. And Miles is like, for <laughs> Lizard formula.
3: This is going to bite my... Curt in the ass severely yes. as the season progresses. Yes, and
2: and it's 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 Kurt's fault.
1: Yeah, but it's a borderline idiot plot on Kurt's well, part. It,
3: well, apparently the, the the lab needed funding anyway because after they lost the symbiote I
1: get this is also, this is also a lab that that, just, that that proved that they could create a lizard man. I mean, they wouldn't have trouble finding funding from somewhere. Yeah.
3: Well, they're covering that up.
1: That's a little unbelievable. <laughs>
2: yeah, but that—that is—that I mean, that's not really public knowledge.
1: It doesn't matter; it doesn't have to be public knowledge. just needs to be known within the college. The fact that this guy creates such an amazing scientific discovery means that he's onto something, and you can f- further fund his activities while at the same time downplaying his one success so far. It's
3: yeah, you. Said I don't know. I,
1: I guess I understand a little more about the clandestine scientific activity, but. <laughs> Fair enough, it,
3: fair enough, but that being said, Kurt is trying to downplay the Lizard stuff completely.
1: Right, but that seems seem a little weird that that is legitimately his biggest scientific breakthrough so far. And I, have, I feel like you could play it both ways. You'd have him not mentioning it in public or downplaying that aspect, but at the same time, he'd probably be using that to get some kind of funding where he's like, look, it went wrong the first time, but if I have a little more money and the proper safeguards to prevent that from happening, you know, give me some test subjects, you know, that kind of thing, you could have it work a little better. I
3: get what you're saying, but I think the fact that he nearly killed his family is one of the reasons why also he's uh, shelving it. Right.
1: Right. But then you get the impression that if that's not the case, wouldn't he just be continuing his, his getting money from elsewhere just means he's going to continue unchecked? Which is just as it's not more dangerous.
3: Mm-hmm. As well as no. giving
1: someone else that he doesn't know access to his, his knowledge and prior no, research. No,
3: no, apparently they do know each other, because in the last episode, Kurt did say, I'm looking forward to working with you again.
1: Right. Well, they're talking about rubber band believability here. Then Fair how enough. does he not know he's an asshole at this point? Well,
3: maybe he wasn't an asshole once upon a time, but there you go.
1: I don't know. We're starting to introduce more holes <laughs> the more we think about that. That's
3: a bad sign. Yeah, I mean, where was Miles? I mean, Miles came back from overseas. Maybe he was with the High Evolutionary. No, I'm kidding. He probably was. They didn't have the right set awful <laughs> character. They didn't have. They wouldn't have the right. They wouldn't have the rights to that awful character. And the High Evolutionary is an awful character.
1: I'm not going to argue with you on that one, Zach. Sorry.
2: I was... I'm just remembering that
1: crappy episode from the 90s X-Men show where they introduced the High Evolutionary. Uh,
2: yeah, High Evolutionary is just one of those characters that I don't know if we've ever had a good one.
3: And he was the main villain in Spider-Man Unlimited. Oh, oh my God, that's right. Oh.
1: Did you know they made an <laughs> High <laughs> Every time I think of the High Evolutionary, all I keep thinking of is all the horrible stories he's involved with. You've got the '80s version of the Clone Project. You've got... The, the retcon that Magneto is uh is Quicksilver and Scarlet, which is father. He's kinda of tied into that.
3: Which is unretcons.
1: Right. Remember once upon a time when uh Quicksilver's father was the wizard? Yes.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was, was skimming through some of my, uh, I was skimming through that Marvel Wedding Street the other day and I I I saw that as late as like when they when they
3: uh like, the Wizard and Miss and Silver,
1: America. Silver and Crystal got married, that Wizard was still in the form. I was like, "Oh my god, I forgot about this." Which makes a hell of a lot more sense because the Wizard is the same power. As Crystal, shh, right?
3: Don't shh, don't say that. Too many people love that Magneto retcon and are still salty about it. Oh. No,
1: people love that Magneto retcon because they they were probably weren't aware that it was a retcon. Yeah, <laughs> they the, were Wizard an, the Wizard is an obscure Golden Age character, and for the most part, that that's
3: been the established history since like the 80s. But yeah, yeah, this whole thing with Kurt and Miles will will bite Kurt in the ass or on the tail.
0: (laughs) The lizard tail.
3: (laughs) But yeah, just, Miles is great. I mean, I I love him in this episode. In in this series, probably not as much as Zack does, but... (laughs)
2: can't go wrong with the with the 90 show miles
1: the learning
2: process has become unstable you're coming apart
3: yeah i don't have too many memories of miles in that show i mean i'd seen those episodes i'd seen obviously the first three seasons of that show way more than the latter two seasons
2: well it doesn't you know it helps that you get to hear him every single month
3: that is also true (laughs)
1: Ha <laughs> ha, that's cute, implying that Clone Saga Chronicles a one you Nah, you're a
3: jerky McDermott. To learn more about Miles Warren, listen to Clone Saga Chronicles.
2: Yes, that has an episode that came out last month, and it might have actually <coughs> shocking two episodes come out in the
1: month. month. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can also hear about my aforementioned uh, nonsensical love of Delilah.
3: Deli- I would have liked to have seen Delilah on this show, actually.
2: That would have been fun. That would have been
3: great. Yeah, uh, so um, let's see. Moving on, let's talk about Zach, another one of your passions, football, the entire football sequence. I'll let you take control of this bit.
2: Oh, okay. So um, Flash pulls a Tony Romo. I'm kidding. <laughs>
1: Um, okay, Zach. Zach, I know you. You and I had to have seen the same thing, okay? Mm-hmm. When he got hit, wasn't the first thing you thought spinal injury? Yes. How in the hell did he hurt his knee from a hit to the back? <laughs> now
2: I will say this: if depending on if okay, if he's standing on the balls of his feet, which he shouldn't do if you're a quarterback, that means you've got happy feet, which means you're not <laughs> setting into you're not setting into the throwing motion. Which what that means is, is you, you get your feet set as a firm base, and then use that as your as your torquing leverage. into the throw, as your leverage for the throw. If you throw off of what's called your back foot, usually it's inaccurate. It's one of the things that drives me nuts about Dak Prescott. But anyway, <laughs> everybody was annoyed. Dak Prescott's the current quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. He's filling in for Tony Romo. He's a rookie. And everybody's, you know, singing his praises for, for very legitimate reasons. But there's things about his game that I'm like, you people don't... You're not seeing what I know, <laughs> and it just breaks my brain hurt. Anyway, so, seeing. I'm, I'm
1: imagining a counter of our current listeners going down as we hear <laughs> yeah, yeah. further and further mechanics well. Anyway, the ball.
2: Anyway, but the only... The way that conceivably he could tweak a knee is if he gets hit in the back and he's on the ball of his foot and his knee twists... Okay. And if the weight is distributed on that leg completely, his knee can give out.
1: See, well, what makes it weird in this episode though, is that it, it almost seems like they acted as if it was a spinal injury. <laughs> Cause like he, he gets wheeled into the emergency room immediately. And like everybody's sitting around thinking he's going to die or something. They're like, Oh my God, he's in the surgery right now. I actually thought he had hurt his, his like his spinal cord or something. Yeah. And I, and maybe, correct me if I'm wrong, they don't mention it to me until after they wheel him out of surgery.
3: Hey, hey, hey Slash, like, it could have been worse. It could have been in Iraq. <laughs>
2: <worse> oh. <laughs> wow.
3: Damn. Damn.
2: That is, Damn. That is dark. That is very dark. Um,
1: yeah, That's the second darkest reference made on one of my podcasts.
2: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, I will say this. If it's an ACL tear, that's a very dangerous surgery because you're not, you know, you you nick something wrong, you can have a lot of blood loss or lose a leg. Now, it's so
1: I think that's where the episode was trying to go. Yes. But they did it clumsily, so that never came across. Mm
2: -hmm. And that's... You just got
1: the impression that he was having some kind of dangerous mystery surgery. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: and had they said, oh, my knee... That would have been fine. But them not saying that kind of makes you wonder what the injury is. And so it was it was very clumsily done. I don't fault – I do fault the writers, but I don't fault the writers at the same time.
1: It's just a plot device. Yeah, it's a plot device.
2: Ultimately. <laughs> you know, we're, we're thinking about it a lot. They probably weren't thinking about it nearly as much as we were.
3: No, well, yeah,
1: was the case. We just want we want Flash to have an injury. Just have him have an injury. Just, just and it, just and just it does possible.
3: set up. And it does set up a major arc that Flash goes throughout the entire season. Yeah, because right.
2: because it's it's who am I without
3: my football? But my my favorite thing about the uh, the
1: football sequence is Peter randomly being a pervert <laughs> and trying to get as many close up photos of the cheerleaders as he can. As you do. Yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's called the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders calendar That comes out every year there Del it's just, it's just, They're always wearing swimsuits It's great
3: And of course Liz is all over him again And uh, I like how <laughs> first even I, I like how first even Sally seems impressed That she, he's taking pictures for the Bugle And then as soon as Liz hugs him She pulls back Liz, you yeah. can't be in the paper that badly
1: This is a good illustration of the difference Between season 1 Liz and season 2 Liz Season one, Liz seems like cleany. whereas whereas in this scene, it's it's cute where she sort of runs up to him and hugs him. You know what I mean? It's a subtle difference, but it's a significant one.
2: Yes, they they, they, they tone down her stalkerishness because <laughs> she's borderline stalkery in the first season, and there's a jealousy there that is very organic and natural in the second season that didn't exist in the first season. And it's, it's a lot more realistic of a relationship. Peter's completely...
1: And great, great point out the jealousy is spreading like a disease, because now it's about Sally happens
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, is like... Peter Parker... If you Did you ever have... Okay, guys, did you ever have a girl, like, after high school... That you thought, no, she's cute, but you know she's like dating your buddy, or you know she's, you know, unattainable for whatever reason, or you think so. You think, and then they reveal to you, oh my god, I had the biggest crush on you in high school.
1: <laughs> okay, I was with you up until the I had the biggest crush on you in high school part because, of course, I went
3: to an all guys high school. Yeah,
2: Delator Tour's out of this. Greg uh, I
3: never really I, I encountered was, too uh, many high I, school people I, again after high school, although at the uh, High school re- ten year reunion. Apparently, someone did make a little bit of a confession. They were married by then, and I, and I was like, wow, I could have had that. Yeah. See,
1: the- wait, wait. What do you mean? What do you mean could have? Just because they're married doesn't mean you can't. Oh, oh God. <laughs>
3: <Anyway>. <laughs> I, I'm not going to talk about swinging on this podcast unless it's Spider Man swinging.
1: I didn't mean swing, you <laughs> fool! <laughs> I'm only talking about adultery, Greg, as, as uh, as like, the flames are growing behind me and my horns are starting to show a little bit. Hey, 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 hey,
3: hey. I'm the king of hell here.
1: <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a slight amount of instability. I mean, there's nothing
3: wrong if you're both on it. Oh, uh, no, no, no. Well, well, maybe maybe uh, it's no. just that her husband
1: hasn't given her what well, she I, needs, well, well, you know?
3: well I Well, I've been there, too, but I'm not going to discuss that on this podcast.
1: <laughs> Neither am I. No, sir.
2: Anyway.
1: Back um, <laughs> yeah.
2: so exactly. that actually no no that really actually happened to me like uh i had this girl that dated one of my buddies they broke up and years later she confessed to me that well actually i had a bigger crush on you but i didn't think you were interested so i dated your friend it's like wow okay dumb and, and then i you know then the uh, ghost I- this, uh, image of me in high school is like, You dumbass! Red Forman style.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, no, 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 no. All you have to do is wait until Christmas, and then the ghost of Christmas past will take you back to that moment where you can actually see it play out <laughs> Exactly. Don't you wish something like that would actually happen for real on these days? Uh huh. Where you can actually see some of those moments and be like, Hmm.
2: Maybe I should have done some things a little bit differently. Like, not meet my ex-wife. But a ch- oh, I'm sorry.
1: No, but, Zach, then you wouldn't have your wonderful daughter, so I'll say that. That's very true.
3: Things happen for a reason, and Gabby is adorable. Yeah.
2: Poor kid looks just
3: like me. Maybe she'll
1: grow out it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pack at of At the line. very least, you know, Zach, at the very least, if you get into old age, you'll have a source for fresh young organs. <laughs>
3: Yeah. One day one day one day Gabby's gonna listen to this.
1: <laughs> oh god, I hope not. Yeah. You like Zach, thing? you have one responsibility as a father who is never to let any and associate with any of us. Oh you
0: oh he
3: was already planning that. <laughs> you <laughs> no. promised me, Zach. I,
2: I promise you nothing.
3: Promise me, Ned. <laughs>
2: um, let's put it this way. <laughs> I had my friends at her first birthday party, they have, you know. Uh, one of them has twin boys, and you know one of them, one of the twin boys, is being real sweet to my daughter, and she's like, "Oh, her first boyfriend." I'm like, "No!" Like, <laughs> I, like apparently, like I, I had blood shooting out of my eyes, like I was about ready to, you know, choke a little kid. You know, I don't want to do that. Like, like, like the first time she brings a guy home, it's gonna, it, it's not, it's gonna get ugly because what's gonna happen is, is she's gonna bring the guy home, and there's gonna be. Two cops and a fireman, you know, <laughs> ready to uh, ready to give her the you know the the, uh, the give him the, uh, the the tenth degree, you know what I mean? Be like.
1: Well, exactly. You also live in Texas, which means that there is never a, gu- a gun outside of your arm range of where you're standing at any moment. So you could probably just reach over like above the fireplace and grab off like a friggin' like a oh, shotgun. Oh
2: no no and no. After they get done talking to the cops, you gonna let me finish. Then then he'll walk into this to the to the living room and I'm you know, cleaning my gun. <laughs> and, and, and as I get done cleaning the gun, each gun will be get, getting progressively bigger and bigger
1: and bigger. Until, you know. <laughs> Oops, I the scene playing. See, I'm imagining the scene playing out, except that Zack is in a rocking chair and he has a beard. I don't know why. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> we now return to the spectacular <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> instead of the instead instead um,
2: future Zack Joyner cast.
1: <laughs> there, it's there in the previous episode and in this episode too, but you get the sense that Peter's warming up to, to Flash a little bit. There's, oh, yeah, a couple of moments where, where, there's a couple of moments where he says something like, oh, "You know, you concerned for Flash?" He's like, "Wait a minute, am I concerned for Flash?"
3: Yeah, we, we do learn a little bit more about their past a little bit later. A little bit. But um, but yeah, the, it, it's getting a little bit more nuanced. The season as a whole is a lot more nuanced and intricate. But yeah, he is war- warming up to him. I mean, he, like I said, he doesn't want anything bad to happen to Flash. And granted, he adds on to that. Okay, not nothing super bad. Not like mm-hmm. this. Not usually. And then he gets attacked by Kraven again. And I will say, so uh, though, I do like the fight. I, I like the first fight scene a lot. I'm not as big a fan of the second fight scene, although I do like seeing the Museum of Natural History. But what I do like about the second fight scene is it ends in a way that we don't see a lot of Spidey fights end, especially in animation. Spidey just kind of punches him into unconsciousness. Oh,
1: see, I hate that. <laughs> right. I, like, I like the first fight a lot, but I thought the second one was kind of dull and anticlimactic. Uh, I was, Zach, yeah, I was just, maybe I was, be with you on this one. Jack, maybe will be with me on this one, but it felt, doesn't that sound like a Howard Mackey ending?
3: A what ending?
1: A Howard Mackey ending, where it just sort of happens because you get this, like they just ran out of time, so they just flush really fast they to like the finishing sequence that haven't punch out Craven until he gets knocked out. That doesn't work after Craven gets his physical upgrade. You know what I mean? If, if that had happened to the non-powered up Kraven, I'd be like, okay. Yeah,
3: nice. I also think the animation in the first fight was a lot better. It was. Also, and the, it was better choreographed, Craven with all of its parkour, pun not intended. Mm-hmm. But, well, I think when it comes down to it, I should have mentioned this earlier, I think my biggest issue with Kraven's mutation, even though I say I don't care, which is mostly true, is that I just feel like there's a step missing. Like, why did why did he jump immediately from one defeat into this? Right.
1: Right. Like, it doesn't fit his character.
3: I, it doesn't either. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm going back to another Wiseman show, Gargoyles. before this. The pack of... He, they were these human villains who were kind of animalistic eventually they upgraded into cyborgs and one of them was a mutated werewolf type but there were like three episodes before that happened after they had their asses kicked multiple times Mm -hmm. whereas here he just loses once and then boom although I do kind of like the bit where he's taking Gugliad on a walk throughout Manhattan yeah
1: that
3: was fun especially the bit and there's just one scene in uh, one small bit where in the bugle and Jameson's just screaming at the lion
1: yes I especially love that they, they don't have the sound for that yes I, I it's just of a silent montage and you just see Jameson yelling and shaking and <laughs> <sympathetic>. <laughs>
2: well
3: I'm thinking Jameson's using words that you can't say on network television
2: what the are you doing in the <laughs> <laughs> People, uh, for I do some have reason, one. People like my Jameson on the various podcasts. No, I'm serious. Like, there have been several people that, are like, anytime Zach does a Jameson voice, it's, it's always gold for some reason. <laughs> my
3: favorite so, my is Putin voice.
2: Well, my Putin voice is also my Craven Hunter voice, and so therefore, we use it this episode.
1: <laughs> In non Soviet Russia, Putin scores seven goals on you. <laughs> God, that that's, not a joke, by the, that's not a joke, by the way. Uh, uh, Putin usually plays in their hockey all-star games, and he only scores like nine or ten
3: goals. Just say you know, let him.
1: Oh yeah, are you gonna? Are you gonna hit the president?
3: No. <laughs>
2: it's I like, wonder if they I'm, get like, bears from the circus to, for him to wrestle.
3: Probably. Just like craven. No, craven actually wrestles real animals. Yeah,
2: huh? like, like, like. I get. I. You know. You know what? I think I think Vladimir Putin is inspired by Craven the Hunter. <laughs> I, think, I, I, I think we get it now. He wants to be Craven the Hunter so bad that he will he will wrestle bears just to make himself look badass.
3: So our international incidents now are all Stan Lee's fault. <laughs> Unfortunately, they true
2: the face run through believers.
1: See, I'm just imagining you're on the, you're a hockey player, you're on the ice, and all of a sudden a Putin is skating towards you. What do you do? You like, do you just body, let him go by? You,
2: you don't body check him because you might get shot right afterwards.
1: Because I'm, I'm also imagining the game, first thing yeah, I am playing a pickup basketball game and Obama's driving towards me. I'm hip-checking that motherfucker. He's <laughs> <Like, laughs> going down to the, the ground. Forget about him. And the
2: thing hey, is, you know, is, say, is, those that have played basketball with Barry – have actually you know expressed that he likes to play a physical game so
1: right know. but the thing with putin is you get the sense that you would be you would, your entire family would be brought out back a shot execution <laughs> style
2: yes one in the head and one in the one of the body one in
1: the head actually that's not sure he probably have him poisoned like the uh that, that guy who's oh, the, oh uh, wait that was um i'm sorry that was never confirmed uh I apologize for that conjecture. Sir, please don't kill me.
2: <laughs> you mean, you mean, um. Is there anything else left
3: to say about this episode? I don't
1: believe so. I have one really uh, minor note because it ties back into something that I've nitpicked before. Uh, they mentioned that, uh, they're taking the final exam for their class, and, uh, uh, the scientist, Warren, calls his other, his brother, a professor. Sort of a science teacher, and the reason I bring this up is I keep mentioning how now th- this version of their high school is a cop out because it's really just college, but they pretend it's high school.
3: It's a magnet school. So those, apparently. Are, those are
1: two things that further support my argument. Well,
3: apparently this is a, apparently this is actually accurate to magnet schools. I have done some research into them.
1: Again, but the fact that they said it in a magnet school is itself the cost that I'm talking
3: about. I know, I guess they, 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 Just
1: that they in said, college, goddammit. <laughs> why do you keep... Why do you guys have to contrive all these things and make it a high school setting?
3: I guess it felt like... I mean, he said this before, Midtown Highs in Midtown Manhattan. Why is a kid from Queens going to Midtown Midtown Manhattan for school? And for that matter, why would a school in Queens be called Midtown? That's, uh, that's weird. That's why they, they did that.
1: Mm, that sounds like bullshit to me, Greg.
3: <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> that big lift. Fair enough. Let's just agree to disagree on this. I'm sure it'll come up again before this podcast is over.
1: <laughs> right, because there's one thing you know about me. so I don't let these things go.
3: <laughs> no. But yeah, I think that, yeah, the teacher, I think The Lord let things go? Yeah, I believe the
1: high. I want to be fair. I'm not nearly as bad about it as, as uh, Josh.
2: Oh, yeah. he still makes that. I mean, I make the hashtag joke, unironi- like, ironically, like, I, I think it took him a year for him to let go of the fact that non-Avengers movie characters were making appearances on covers. Well,
3: and that,
1: hey, you will, hey, that, when was the you little... will be at the feast.
3: Nice. And hey, when was the last time I mentioned that show that everybody knows I hate? Besides the <laughs> moment. Yeah, that one. <laughs>
1: It's been a while. I keep, t- I keep trying to prod you into doing it, but you resist. I, I admire your willpower.
2: I, I have to say, though, it also is—you know—we ought to mention that it's finally our, our long national nightmare is coming to an end.
1: By the time, oh, this also, is actually, Spider-Man's been the... canceled for the fifth time.
2: No, it actually is being replaced by a new series. So it is. It is. Which is
1: which is being which is gonna have one of the showrunners from Avengers Assemble. Yes.
2: I have no hope.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's
3: no reason to
2: believe to be anything. <laughs> and Dan Slot's involved, so... Oh! I mentioned Voldemort's name! No! <laughs>
3: Dan Slott wishes he was Voldemort.
1: i can think that Voldemort would make a better name in Spider-Man Rider than Dan Slot would.
3: Hey, coming up with... The, hey, working the name Tom Marvolo Riddle into I Am Lord Voldemort does require creativity. <laughs> That's the
1: thing Slott doesn't have. It's creativity. <laughs> Okay, let's move on let's move
3: you know on. what
2: else he doesn't
3: have let's move on The exercise.
2: let's move on
3: okay so um is, are there any other notes to give on this episode anybody have anything
2: Miles Moore no. is a magnificent bastard
3: alright let's go about for grades Zach you go first
2: I'm giving this a B
3: okay Gerard
1: Oh, boy, this is a hard one, because I actually really like the first half say? of this episode. <sighs> I'm going to go with a C- minus with the asterisk annotation that this would have been like in the B-plus range if it didn't go off the rails the way it did.
3: Okay, and I'm going to give it a C myself, just because, again, mm. while I don't give a crap about, about Craven, again, I, I like Eric Vespin, I do like the the first Kraven design, I do like that first fight. I just, I don't even care that he was mutated so much as I do not understand his motivation for choosing to do that to himself, especially this early in in the game. I mean, I just that never sat right with me. I don't care that he, I'm, I'm not one of those people always oh, should have done that to begin with. I don't care that they did that, but um, I just wish that they had executed it better because it made no sense for him to make that leap. But it did get us a great Miles Warren scene. Yeah. But yeah, it's my grade, Zach. You, you gave it a C minus, and Zach, you gave it a B. Yeah,
1: but Zach' grade's on a curve. Miles
3: Warren was in it. <laughs> Why not? It was. A, hey, Miles Warren doesn't get too many appearances in, in other media, especially uh, good
1: ones. I,
2: you know, I'm sorry. I have to be excited.
3: So. You're allowed.
1: Oh, don't worry. Cold Spirits, you'll beat that feeling out of you.
2: Actually, I didn't you'll, hate him. You'll much. never want to see
1: him again by the end of that story. I,
2: I, I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't, I didn't hate his.
3: I still say that's Ben Riley under that Anubis mask.
2: A lot of people think it's Norman. So, we'll find out. By the time this comes out, I think uh, we'll either, uh, maybe, by the, maybe, maybe next
3: time. Yeah, by the time this podcast comes out, the election will be over, also Long National Nightmares.
2: Uh, well, one, either either, uh, either one of our, uh, one of two things are going to happen. Our Long National Nightmare will continue, or a whole new Long National
3: Nightmare will begin. Once again, you can tell when we recorded this damn thing. So, I'm about to say that, well, Clone Conspiracy did end, the election did end, and I'll turn this over to Homer Simpson.
0: Kids, would you step outside for a second?
2: Ah, dear Lord, that's the loudest profanity I've ever heard. Fair enough. <laughs>
1: exactly. A, I was going to say there is no nightmare ending. We're just entering a different one.
2: Yes.
3: All right. Okay, tune in next time, time spectacular fans. We'll, we'll, we'll be joined again by Zach and Gerard. Hopefully, Gerard's internet will be better. And special guest host Vladimir Putin. Yes, Vladimir Putin.
1: Going to be I'm team. really excited about this one. I don't know how we're going to work out the time schedule and such. for him calling in from the. From <laughs> oh, the, from I don't the, give a crap. That guy, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Russia, not the Soviet Union. Kobe that guy
3: will. Wake, that guy will wake up and be on the phone when I say he is, or else I will kick his ass.
2: Yeah, this is the guy, <laughs> so this is the last time that Greg will be on the show. <laughs> exactly. See you next time.
1: Local, local man discovers face down in local ditch. <laughs> uh,
3: see you next time. I hope. I'm looking around now for assassins.
1: <laughs> the funny thing about that great... usually attack when you leave expect.
2: Have a spectacular day, webheads. To Moscow I came seeking
0: fortune But they're making me work till I'm dead The bourgeoisie have it so easy The czar's putting gold on his bread The people of Moscow are hungry think what a feast there could be if we could create a socialist state that cared for the people like me. I am the man who arranges the blocks that descend upon me from up. They come down and I spin them around till they fit in the ground like hand in glove. Sometimes it seems that to move blocks is fine and the lines will be formed as they fall. Then I see that I have misjudged it. I should not have nudged it after all. The man who arranges the blocks That continue to fall from up above Come must go white, let the workers unite. unite A collective regime of peace and love I work so hard in arranging the blocks But the landlord and taxman bleed me dry But the workers will rise We will not compromise For we know that the old regime must die Live learning, kill the czar. We salute the sick call and I am the man who arranges the blocks that continue to fall from food on your plate now belongs to the state, a collective regime of peace and love. I have no choice in arranging the blocks, and the bolshevik rule what they say goes. The rule of the game is we all are the same, and my blocks must create unbroken rows. Long live Stalin, he loves you. Sing I am the man who arranges the blocks That are made by the men in Kazakhstan They come two weeks late and they don't tessellate But we're working to Stalin's five-year plan I am the man who arranges the tanks That will make all the Nazis keep away The Führer is dead and Europe is red Let us point all our guns at the USA We shall live for Who arranges the blocks that are building A highly secret base Hip hip hoorah, for the USSR We are sending our men to outer space I work so hard in arranging the blocks But each night I go home to my wife in tears What's the point of it all when you're building a wall And in front of your eyes it disappears Pointless work for pointless pay This is one game I shall not play I AM THE MAN WHO ARRANGES THE BLOCKS! But tomorrow... I think I'll stay in bed... The winter is cold... I've got plenty of gold... And I'm standing in line... For a loaf of bread... Maybe we'd be better off If we brought down Gorbachev I am the man who arranges the blocks that continue to fall from up above The markets are free, so much money for me Tell me why should I care for peace and love The markets are free, so much money for me Tell me why should I care for peace and love Peace and love Peace and love And now the wall is down, the Marxists frown, there's foreign shops all over town. When in Red Square, well don't despair, there's Levi's and McDonald's there. The US gave us crystal meth, and Yeltsin drank himself to death. But now that Putin's put the boot in, we'll get in our way so we reject free enterprise and once again the left will rise prepare the flags to be unfurled because we're seceding from the world we shall regain the georgian soul we shall obtain the oil. we shall array i can take <laughs> you will have no idea what i'm doing to you would you really trust me if it weren't in my self-interest to succeed